So here we go. So today we are broadcasting with no Johnny uh, in the corner there. I don't know if he's on the, if the spot is empty on the camera or not, but Ed's got a free right arm today. We're also broadcasting under the luxurious air conditioning. Oh, so yeah. I apologize for the background noise, but it's it's wonderful here in the <laughs> attic. <laughs> today is also the official first day that we're broadcasting without a fifth member, Johnny. Today's also the first day that we're broadcasting in the month of June this year. Any other firsts? First time with a uh, cast on my leg or, Adam, or a boot on my foot. Depending. Adam's got a boot on yeah. his foot uh, from... Getting surgery. I have bones all over the place in my foot since I was... <laughs> 12 years old, finally decided to take care of it. So I've been on crutches for four weeks and just about easing off of them now. So time to do the other foot. It's about but, time because I'm a foot man and didn't work before. Dude, I got the sexiest right foot in the state of New Jersey right now. <laughs> but we did we did, we did, did hear from um, Ed that you're being a non-compliant patient. So we need you to get the two crutches going. I fell off the wagon today just a little bit, but I did just come up about 41 steps if you include the curb. To join you guys here in the attic. <laughs> we appreciate that. Tired. All right. Um, so today we are going to do some Q&A. And I had sent out the questions to the gang earlier. So let's get started here. Um, so the first one here um, comes, I don't have who they're from actually, um, but, it, but I'll start it anyway. So I'm in my mid-40s and would like to retire by 50. I have a pension and an IRA, but I never got into buying investment properties or doing anything to bring in extra money on the side. Is it too late to start now and still retire by 50? Are there other ways and or accounts um, that I can put my money into to retire sooner than later? That's easy. You, you need a spreadsheet. <laughs> and, and, the, and the reason you need that is because... Your question is great, but we don't know if you have 39 cents in the bank or 3.9 million in the bank. And we don't know if you're 41 or 49, right? It's, it's very going to be very difficult for I, us to I think some of the things you need this. to understand is, like he says he has a pension. We don't know if this is something he can live off of the pension. Um, and how old, what's the earliest he can retire and get a full bench, pension? It may be 52. So maybe 50 is not reasonable. Uh, maybe 52. Like, let's let's assume like he's a teacher and you need to teach for 25 years. Um, and then I think there's a minimum age as well. So it's somewhere in the low 50s. And what's your lifestyle going to be like? What's the spend column look like? So yeah. be happy to look into that more, but need the numbers. Yeah, it's not a simple answer. I think, uh, a, I think a couple of things that we can kind of answer from his question is he asked for what other accounts, um, if I believe I heard that correctly, right? Yep. On the question. I think in addition to his pension, and I'm assuming it's a traditional IRA since he just put IRA in the question. There's always the Roth IRA option depending on his current income, whether he qualifies for that or not. You Yes, correct. Because you could do both. Yes. Depending and on and at his, oh no, he's not 50 yet. He can't do a catch up for his, IRA, um, for his 401k. He didn't say anything about a 401k, so I'm guessing it's just a pension. So he probably works for the state or the government. Yeah. I, I think back to what Adam said originally, right? You do need a spreadsheet, right? You need to put it all down. What do you have? What's coming in? When's it coming in? And how much is going to be going out? Um, I think we'd be best off just summarizing all the things to think about, right? And then we're not going to be able to give any more details, right? So obviously maxing out the IRA is one. And if and, and the raw thing is there too, although somebody in their 40s is typically in a higher tax bracket. So I, I would shy away from telling them to put money in a Roth IRA. Um, I would max it out in a traditional IRA and avoid the taxes. The most important thing? Max one of them out. Correct. Max one. Max something so out. So we right? should maybe just explain the difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA. So a Roth IRA is, or a Roth anything, right? A Roth 401k, a Roth IRA. Um, the taxes are paid now, and then the money goes untaxed forevermore, uh, including all the gains. Uh, in a traditional IRA, it's the opposite, right? You don't, you don't pay any taxes now. You pay the taxes when you take the money out, um, theoretically, so when you're retired. Let's discuss the benefits of both. So with a Roth... If, if you put a lot of money in early and it's worth millions of dollars when you retire, you never pay taxes on any of those gains. Um, so you'll have a lot more money at the end. If But if you're doing a traditional, you're going to have more money to put in because it's it's not taxed yet. So let's say $1,000 Roth, you're paying your taxes on that. So you're, you're investing less, but you're going to have more later. $1,000 traditional, you're going to pay no taxes on that now. So it can grow to a bigger number. Yeah, the downside is, and if you do the spreadsheet, um they're both going to be the same if your tax brackets are the same, right? If your investment is the same and your 
that the rate of your, if you're in a 30% tax bracket the whole time, they would come out exactly the same, right? So it's really a game you have to play with yourself and your income to say, hey, what, where am I in the tax bracket scheme? And at that time, if I'm in a low tax bracket, I should go the Roth route, right? If I'm in a high tax bracket, I should go the traditional route. And then, and then when you're retired or you have a different income stream later, you can, you can figure out where to take your money from, right? You could say, hey, I'm spending a lot of money this year. Let me take it out of the Roth because I don't have to pay the taxes. Hey, I'm not spending a lot of money some year. Let me take it out of the traditional because I will pay the taxes, but I'm in a low bracket. So there's a game to be played and you've got to know the numbers to play. The other game is that tax brackets now are what, 28 to 37%, some, somewhere in that range. And longer term, what do we think that's going to be in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years when you retire? Do you think that's going to be in the in the 50%? The highest tax bracket in the 1950s in this country was like 95%. Really? Yes. I think that now the chances are in 10 to 30 years that the base tax brackets can also be higher. So that's something else to consider too. And it, it's a guess. Nobody knows. It's a guess. So I always say do both because you're going to be guessing now and you'll be able to play both sides of it later if you have money in both. Yeah. I think the other thing in terms of the accounts that this individual um, might want to consider, he doesn't specify in the question whether he's self-employed or employed uh, by well, an employer. Well, the pension, I'm assuming he's not self-employed. Well, he could he could have something else on the side going on. Like, you know how we talked about in the past about how we have our own businesses on the side, like your t-shirt business. Uh, my understanding is there's also a whole separate category for self-employed pension plans. And what the qualifications are for that, if it's something where you have another employer plan, he'd have to look into that, but potentially other avenues of accounts for him to look into. So let's do a quick run through. So there's the IRAs and 401ks, Roths and traditional. There's the pension that he already mentioned. There's the HSA, the health savings account, right? Which is another investment opportunity, which is better than all the other ones if you, if you have access to it. Um, and it's basically triple tax free. You don't pay now and you don't pay later, as long as you use the money to pay for healthcare. Um, so that one's really good. There's the variations on the IRAs that Ed is alluding to, right? Self-employed, self-directed, there's all those things. Um, as far as accounts go, I can't think of too many others. You, you can get into life insurance, right? So there's some life insurance products out there and annuity products out there that are way too detailed for us to talk about right now. Um, but those are all the things I think that, that come into play here. Um, and then the other thing he mentioned was, you know, I haven't done anything to bring in extra money on the side, right? So in my mind, somebody who's trying to catch up at the end, that's probably the best way to do it. Side job, yes, yeah. side business, right? You got to bring in tons of money because when you're 40 or 50, you don't have the growth period in front of you. You don't have 30, 40 years of stock market growth to, to, to play with. So I would think side business is the way to go. Anything else? Yeah, I, I also think to put all those qualitative ideas into something actionable. Like we said, do the spreadsheet. What do the numbers look like? What does your spend look like now? What do you predict your spend to look like in the future? What rate of return do you think you're gonna get? And if that sounds too complicated, send us what you got, as much quantifiable information as you can, and uh, you'll be the first recipient of the attic static financial checkup spreadsheet coming back at you. We're going to upload the spreadsheet with all of our gear too. There'll be a cost to that. We can do that. I have one last comment about that right before we move on. Sure. Uh, I think in the question that individual had specified, he's 40 and his goal target date is going to be when he's 50. And I think one thing that he can use as a motivating factor to keep in mind is that even if he misses that goal at 50, by trying all these different things and by getting the second job and taking all these steps, it's only going to improve his situation moving forward. So even if it's not until 51, 52, 55, 60, it's only going to make for a stronger Better. retirement plan at whatever Agreed. point that is. And look, at, at four, if you're 40 looking to retire at 50, you, gotta, you should be pretty close because retiring at 50, assuming a, a typical lifespan, you get a long runway. You get a long period of time where you're going to be spending that money. So at 40, you, you, you better be pretty close. How close? Send us the details. We'll calculate it for you. Um, I'd also like to just expand on that, that side job kind of thing. In our earlier episodes, I don't know that we ever really nailed down the answer to the question of, okay, what do I do today? So I, I just ran some quick numbers, right? Can you save $3 a day? Where does that come from? Okay, skip the Starbucks coffee in the morning. That's a lot more than $3. Well, that, that'll buy you two days then, Yeah. right? 
or you know go to the gas station that's uh, 11 cents less per gallon um, buy the regional grocery brand can of chicken soup instead of a name brand simple things i think as long as you are not paycheck to paycheck and going deeper and deeper into debt if you're financially stable you can eke out three dollars per day and save that what happens well if you start right out of college three dollars a day and you look at the long-term return on s p you will have 1.1 million at your full retirement age three bucks a day you can't do three bucks a day come on what if you started in high school just you know five years earlier Okay, now you're at 1.9 million at full retirement age, and Mr. Ford, are you, are you investing this three dollars every day, or at the end of the year you're taking that money, you're investing? Where are you coming up with your number? Monthly. Okay, and they're rough numbers, no tax implications, but just the point is, three bucks a day is not should not be too difficult to uh, We're talking about put together. Forty years worth of savings, but still, absolutely, yeah. it's the time that's important. And here, this illustrates it, Mr. 40 year old, what if you started doing that in a separate account? Now, how much would you have in that separate account when you're 67, eh, maybe $165,000? That's it. So start young, right? But but if you start when you're 40, that $3 a day when you're 80, assuming you're still healthy and alive will be the million or whatever number you just mentioned, right? So it it's does, just a matter of time, right? So from 22 time, right? to, to 67 is like 491 years, I think. So you take that same duration and add that to Correct. 40, absolutely, absolutely, you'll have that yeah. same 1 million or 1.9 million. Yeah. So um, bottom line is, um, if you want to send us the data, send us the data, we'll do some math around it. Um, but doing something is better than doing nothing now, right? All right. Um, let's do another one here. So this one is completely different topic. So I want to get into gardening, but I don't know how to get started. I have a really small plot of grass in my yard. I could probably grow a few things. That sounds like a so one it's either, of you two guys. It's either me or Adam. <laughs> you want to start, Adam, or you want me to go? Why don't you start? I'll start. So what would I say? I would say um, two hours on YouTube is probably the way to go. There are there are thousands of uh, YouTube videos on gardening, uh, lots of people who have done it, um, urban settings, right? Small plots, whether it's container gardening, using five gallon buckets, using uh, milk containers, uh, or building boxes out of wood or metal. Um, there's tons of good uh, media and information out there on it, right? So it also depends on what you think about gardening. Is it flower gardening? Is it vegetable gardening? Is it both? Um, so you do have to decide what it is you want. Um, but I think raised beds and a small plot like this is probably raised beds or raised some kind of container gardening is probably the way to go. Um, and in my experience, it's always been like, it takes a lot of time, right? So, so you've got you've to do it because you want to and you've got to make sure you're getting out of it what you want. So if you want to eat things, make sure you're growing the things that you want to eat and make sure they're going to grow in your environment. Um, if you want them for decoration, if you want flowers and all that kind of stuff, again, right, you got to do the homework. Do you, what colors do you like? What seasons do you like? Do you want it to be colorful throughout the season? You're going to have to plant appropriately, right? So there's lots of different variations in how to do gardening depending on what it is you're trying to get out of it. One thing before you go to Adam, who knows you guys know more, you could also do an arrow garden, which is an indoor with just water because um, that's what my wife does. So I see her do it and she brings down like all kinds of things that we put in our foods and Yeah, so do, so that so that's a great point that I didn't bring up, right? So hydroponic gardens like the Aero Garden and, and whatever other name brands are out there, you can uh, do it in the house, right? It comes in a kit, you put it together, you plug put water in the bottom, turn the thing on, and you're growing vegetables before you know it it's in your house, right? So um, those things are really amazing. So um, I, any of those things work. Um, but I think um, it really depends on what you want to get out of it. Anything to add, Adam? Yeah, just like our, our producers did take a quick check on the internet, uh, check out Three Mile Island or the reactors in South Jersey here. I think there might be a meltdown. Um, it feels like it's 95 <laughs> degrees in here. Um, <laughs> you got swamp ass going out there, right? I'm going to have to apologize for the background noise, but got to have the AC. <laughs> <laughs> got to have it. Um, and, and sometimes with gardening, um, it can be hot outside too. So uh, you got to deal with it. Um, I'm going to say start small. It's always easier to expand. And if you start too big and you have limited experience, it can get overwhelming very, very quickly. 
I would agree. It gets out of control. It gets ugly. Weeds everywhere. Pests everywhere. Um, you get dis- discouraged really quickly. Or you build a greenhouse from scratch. Like you can animal. do that. Yes. That'll, yeah. that'll be another episode. But but let's talk real quick about what we've done, right? So so I've got, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven beds in the yard. Some are four by 12, some are four by eight, some are three by eight. Uh, and then probably about another 20 pots of tomato plants, peas, uh, fig trees, uh, cauliflower. This year we're trying to get um, Brussels sprouts to grow and a, and a half a bed of asparagus. Um, lots of other things in there, lettuces, all kinds of stuff. So over the years, it's grown and grown and grown. And to Adam's point, if you tried to start big that way, you would never keep up. Um, and now with me having more time at home, you can go out every day for 10 minutes or 15 minutes here and there, pull some weeds, kill some bugs, do whatever. Staying on top of it is really important. If you could only get to it on the weekend, it's going to be a disaster every week and, you, and you're never going to get anywhere. Uh, the other thing I would suggest heavily is whatever you bit grow, somehow mulch the area, right? Cover the cover the, the dirt spaces in between the plants with something. I use cut grass from the lawn. Um, it keeps the weeds down. It keeps the moisture in. You have to water it less. Um, it's very, very helpful. So that, and that's it decomposes the into a nice source of nitrogen. A lot of nitrogen for the soil, yeah. too. So, All right. Well, I, I started with about six or seven uh, raised beds. Uh, then we expanded into a nice <coughs> 70-foot-long row of raspberries. And, and my kids know that, you know, they're, they're second only to raspberries. Uh, or I think it's the other way around. Anyway, I like raspberries. Uh, then, then we doubled that, put a parallel row in, and now we've got strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, and um, blueberries growing. Uh, we also started a small uh, orchard. I say orchard, but it, it's really a few twigs that are aspiring to be cherry trees. And we started with nothing but sour cherries because I like them best, but also uh, here in New Jersey where you, you have a lot of uh, humidity and a lot of um, insect pressure. Uh, sour cherries, in terms of fruit trees, are typically more resistant. Uh, are they sour or tart? I've uh, never heard of pick sour. Pick your adjective. Is it the same thing? Yeah, yeah. They're, um, you know, like Montmorency uh, cherry or... Uh, no. Okay. I just know a tart. Tart yeah. cherries are supposed to be very good for recovery for... Exactly. They're all, I think, all Aronia family. A-R-O-N. Exactly. Um, tons of different varieties. So we did uh, a couple of... We did two each of maybe four or five different varieties. And the other thing is, uh, this applies to gardening in general. You know, well, first question for you guys. Do you know what uh, organic food used to be called? Food. food. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what happened was, I think probably about 100 years ago, maybe a little bit more, the humans thought they could do better by making chemicals that, that killed the bugs. And therefore, the the plants would would do a little bit better. And that kind of sort of worked for a little while, but the killing was kind of indiscriminate. And a lot of beneficial insects, ones that pollinate, for example, ones that um, keep the population down of uh, insects that harm plants, were killed as well. So that really didn't work too well. And then in the 50s and 60s, after Rachel Carson's uh, book, Silent Spring, put a link to that, we tried to start killing more selectively and and, and only uh, target certain things and not broadcast these broad spectrum chemicals. We thought that was doing better. But I think the next evolution beyond that um, is espoused by a lot of people. Michael Phillips is one of them. But the idea is don't try and kill anything. Instead, get as many species as you possibly can into your orchard or your garden. Put a bat box up, put a bird box up, put companion plants around your plants. Don't have a monocrop or monoculture. And the thinking being is, yeah, you know what? You're going to get 15% of your apples eaten and you're going to lose 20% of your, your peaches. But you're always going to have something. And if you maximize the amount of species you have, no one species is going to get out of control and wipe you out. So that's kind of what we're trying with moderate success. Yeah, we're doing the same. We don't put anything on the garden and uh, the fertilizer is basically compost from our kitchen. So, you know, we don't really buy anything to uh, to supplement the garden. Um, one point I'd make up for this 
particular question is if this is in an urban, very urban setting, getting all those bugs and species in there is not so easy, right? So um, what we've done in the past is we've gone out and, and I've actually ordered, right? You can order a thousand ladybugs and they send them to you in an envelope and you put them in the fridge and, they're nice, and they sleep in there until you take them out. And you let them go in the garden because ladybugs eat. Um, Collecting them at night and putting them back in the fridge, that was a pain in the yeah, ass. It's, it is rough. Yeah. It is rough. So, yeah. um, so you can do that, and you can also order. There's other things you can order as well that are helpful, beneficial insects to the garden. So you to may clarify, though, you, you don't put them back in the fridge every no, night. Just, just wanna, <laughs> yeah. once they're out there, they're out there. Yeah, and you can even buy a uh, like the egg case for a praying mantis, and they'll you know like when they hatch, you know, a couple hundred of babies come out of there, and then you have them in your garden. And some will leave, and they'll eat each other, and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, you know, you'll have a few. So there are things you can do like that. Um, to and whether you have a garden or not, a praying mantis is one of the coolest things you can observe <laughs> in nature. So for the 10 bucks, or yeah, whatever that, that, it is. That could be a fun yeah, kid project. Those are too, cool right? alone. You know, yeah. Put them in a tank. So um, I have a side, a side uh, gardening question for you guys. I don't mind me asking. Go ahead. So a couple years ago, my wife and I tried to do some potted gardening because we were concerned about the cost of uh, testing our water because we have a well on our property and testing uh, the soil. So we figured out, let's bypass that cost and let's just start small, like you're saying, Adam, and do a few pots and grow a few things there. But the problem we ran into is a lot of woodland critters coming in. And as soon as we look out the windows, oh, it looks like something's coming around. The next morning we would check out there and sure enough, there's nothing there. Well, that's good. That means you were growing something that was tasty <laughs> and, and feeding the neighborhood. That's great. Now, if you want to keep it to yourselves, yeah, you need a fence. Okay. There's no, there's really no way around it. You need a fence or it's got to be enclosed in a greenhouse. Um, it, they've got to be protected. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's hard. Um, we we've had moderate success with squirrels, chipmunks, that kind of stuff in in the gardens. You know, getting getting through. I did put netting over the strawberry beds uh, to keep the birds out, um, and that makes a huge difference. Um, but what we found out now, last couple of years, because we happen to have the, our new adopted outdoor cat, is that I don't have any problems with any. There's no chipmunks. There's no squirrels. There's nothing other than birds. There's nothing in the yard anymore. Um, just birds. They're just they're dead. And well, <laughs> and, and not that she's killing everything. Although she does bring presents, um, I think they just stay away, right? Because there is a cat, and it's made a huge difference, right? You, you can definitely see it. So it, it is a struggle when you have um, critters, you know, in there feasting. And like Adam said, if you're going to lose fifteen or twenty percent of your crop, like that's just the cost of doing business and sharing the planet with other creatures. But um, if you only have one plant in one pot and they eat all of it, you lost 100%. It's not a lot of fun. <laughs> and there's all different kinds of protection, right? You could be in an enclosed greenhouse. You could have berries, like Ray said, and put netting over them. We have, uh, we just kind of changed our setup, and now we've got um, 20 foot PVC hoops that make semicircles over the ground, and they're kind of in a long tunnel, and we get netting over that. So you can go inside the netting to pick your berries. How big is this circle? Um, well, the two, two 20 feet uh, pieces of PVC uh, stuck together. So you can walk in it. It's you know eight, nine feet high at the center. Yeah. And uh, about, uh, I believe, 13 feet wide at the base almost. Something like that. It's kind of big. So um, that's a big endeavor. So anything that happens um, in Africa. It's a big is, space. Is big. It's not necessarily a big endeavor. PVC is cheap and, and netting is, is cheap. The The trick is how can you set it up so minimally that it's easy to take down in winter because you can't leave netting up in winter where it snows and how durable, how many years can you get out of it? Those are the things you, you need to think of. Yep. This year we actually put up netting over the um, the bed that has the asparagus and the cauliflower, is it cauliflower? No, not cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Um, so the good thing about those is you don't, after the asparagus harvest in the spring, you don't really need to deal with it and pick it in the, in the rest of the summer. Have you grown asparagus before? Yeah, every year. It grows up in like little shoots. It's, yeah, it's, uh, we're about, I want to say eight or nine years into into the asparagus beds because you got to let it grow. Yeah, it takes a few years. What is Brussels yeah. sprouts, how do they grow? If you if you find them in a farmer's market, they grow on a long oh, straight they, stalk and there's all these, and so they're all attached to the stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so um, so it's like, uh, I don't know what you would, I don't even know what it looks like. It looks like a... A bunch of s'mores stuck on a stick, you know. So um, we'll see how that goes. But I don't need to. I don't need to manage those either during the growing season. So they're they're not under hoops like Adam described. I don't have to walk under there. They're just kind of under netting. That's kind of annoying to get to. Um, but it's it's no big deal because I don't need to go in there. So um, there's a lot going on, right? So um, start small, 
start with what you want, protect it if you have to, um, or protect it just in case, because you may not know you have to until the critters show up. Um, and it's a lot of fun. All right, this one's going to be uh, probably directed to the to the guys on my right. So uh, being Gary and, and, uh, and I'm Ed. Gary. This is Gary. Hey, Gary. Hey, Ed. Hey. So the question is, am I, I'm trying to find a way to work out at home, but I don't have a room for a lot of equipment. I was reading and watching videos about body weight exercises like push-ups instead of bench press. I was wondering if this type of workout will be as productive as a gym workout with weights. I will take this. All right, Gary, why don't you take it? Um, I think people put too much weight into having to go to the gym and Dad having joke. weights and <laughs> having, you know, having all this equipment. Um, come on. <laughs> so, um, and I think I, what I'll do is when the pandemic started and we could no longer go to the gym, I was looking for things to do because um, I didn't want to do nothing. So one of the things I started doing, and actually this started with Ray and a group of people, we started doing this thing called the Murph, where you're doing push-ups, pull-ups, and, and squats. squats. And you're pretty much hitting almost everything with that. Um, but it's a, well, first I'll tell you what it is. Well, the Murph. You don't have to do the whole thing, but it's a good workout. You're supposed to, if you do it all right, you run a mile. You run a mile, you do 100 push-ups, sorry, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, then you run another mile, and you're supposed to do this with a 20-pound weight vest. Um, I don't recommend starting with all of that, um, but if you just want to get a workout in, you know, when we started doing this, we would do push-ups, uh, pull-ups, push-ups, and squats, breaking it down to doing it in 20 sets to get to these numbers. And then if and you stop at 20 minutes, whether you're done or not. Um, and you get a great workout in 20 minutes. And I would do that one day a week, and then another day I would just do, and this is again, a 20-minute workout. I would do 10 sets of pull-ups or 10 sets of push-ups where you do X. Like I'm doing 10 pull-ups, then I'm gonna take a minute rest, I'm gonna do 10 pull-ups. Actually, it's only take about 13 or 14 minutes. And the same thing with uh, push-ups. Do 20 push-ups, minute rest, 20 push-ups. So you have a timed. It takes less than 20 minutes. Uh, and when you get good at it and you can complete whatever your goal is, then you put a weight vest on. So get a weight vest, and then maybe you start with five pounds or 10 pound weight vest. And as you get better at that, move up to 10 pounds and keep moving up. But you can get a lot of stuff done just weight-wise with push-ups, pull-ups, squats, using a weight vest. You can get some dumbbells, 20, 25 pound dumbbells, and if you really want to do shoulders, um, you know, biceps and things like that, you can do that. And if you want to get some cardio out of it, get a jump rope. You know, jump ropes are great. And uh, I was doing workouts like that too. You do minute on, minute off, do it for 20 minutes. You're gonna, you probably won't be able to finish the first time. Uh, and if you're like me and you do it in your garage, your feet will hurt from all the pounding on the concrete. But these are great things you can do. Um, and you don't need hardly any equipment other than a pull-up bar, um, which me and Ray installed one in my garage. Um, but you can get one of those pull-up bars that you just put on your door frame. Uh, really easy. You can put it up and put it down in seconds. It's going to do a little bit of damage to your frame, um, even though they're not supposed to, which is why I installed one in, or Ray and I installed one in my garage. But these are all things you can do. Really simple. Just start out slow and build up to it. Okay. Ed? I think uh, Gary had a lot of good advice to share, and I totally agree with everything you said. But the only thing that I would add on to that is I think if Certain folks maybe aren't accustomed to doing exercise, right? To make sure you exercise at your appropriate level, right? Start off slow. You know, obviously if you have any health concerns, any health issues, obviously check with your medical provider, make sure that you're clear and okay to do exercise and follow their advice and instruction. I think one of the things that I usually recommend to patients that I think can be very helpful um, is two cheap pieces of equipment that use body weight and that will allow you to progress if you're at a lower level uh, to progress towards some of the things that Gary was talking about that him and Ray were doing with the pull-up bar. And that is the total gym, which essentially is just like any other body weight exercise. Only if you're not accustomed to doing exercise, maybe you're a bit of a larger person and you have a lot of body weight and you figure it's gonna be kind of tough for me to get started. I wanna get injured or maybe have previous injuries and you need to decrease that weight for resistance. Then doing the total gym is nice because essentially it's a sled that you put on an incline. So it moves from a horizontal position closer to a vertical, higher towards a vertical, and the incline changes. And as the incline changes, then the body weight that you're working against, that resistance changes. So it's a very nice way. There are different attachments. About the only thing that I don't like about that particular piece of equipment, brand new, it is pretty costly. So I think looking at tag sales, you know, secondhand use, um, things of those natures, 
is going to be very, very helpful because you can get it at a very good cost. And I think it's a great piece of equipment. The other one is a physio ball, which is commonly just generically known as an exercise ball. It looks like an oversized beach ball. You can pick that up at any common store, Walmart, Target, any place. I think it's very versatile. I think it's great in terms of you're almost, lim uh, you know, it's unlimited to what you can do with it. It's great core exercise, provides a lot of balance, a lot of proprioception, and you can incorporate it into a lot of different calisthenic movements that you may already be doing. So I think those two things are very versatile and it's very good in terms of body weight exercise. The last thing I would add is in terms of whether it's machines, free weights, bands, body weight, from an exercise physiology perspective, your body is gonna have specific adaptations to impose demands. So whatever that resistance is, as long as the contractile unit, the muscles and tendons are working against some kind of resistance, you're gonna be getting those physiological changes that you're looking for. Thanks, Ed. Adam, what do you got? Yeah, Ed, that, that was excellent. Um, but with the brand names, you're gonna have to retract it all and get it edited out. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to, uh, to comment on, on the Murph. I, I don't wanna complicate it, but I find it so, curious or coincidental that I did almost exactly the same thing for the 18 months prior to a big climbing trip in Alaska. Push-ups, pull-ups, but instead of squats, it was crunches. And in addition to running, it was it was biking. So but you, the point was no weights other than a pull-up bar. Right. And it was as thoroughly ass-kicking as, as you could ever hope yeah. for when you start to minimize the breaks and increase the reps. Um, you don't need anything else. Yeah. I mean, just to put it in perspective, when I do like the Murph, for example, because you're not really getting any breaks, my heart rate will get the same level of me doing a tempo run for running, which is not an easy run. What's so, a tempo run? Uh, it, it's like when you're doing what we consider like say half marathon pace, like half marathon effort. Yeah, I think, um, again, doing this Murph exercise, and we did it, we were during the, during the COVID you know, lockdown, Gary and I and Bill and Mark and some other folks, and, and I got Noah to do it with us, we'd do it on like a FaceTime thing, right? We just get on there together. Um, it kicks your butt, right? I mean, if, if you minimize the time and the breaks and stuff, it is, um, it's, it, to me, it was almost impossible like, to get to the end, and I wasn't doing it without a vest. Like, it's, it's, it's very, very demanding. And look, you just saved 20 minutes each way, driving back and forth to the gym, saved your $3 in gas. That's now going to get you your $1.9 if you start banking that at age 17. That's right. It all works. And I think um, one other thing we would do um, was a burpee workout, oh, which is almost the hard. same thing, right? Because mm -hmm. you do a push-up in there. You stand up. It's like a squat. Um, so, um, and then you do a little jump in there too, right? But doing, um, we just said, hey, let's just do 100 burpees. It's almost impossible, right? You think you could do it? It is almost impossible. Right? You're, you're well, if you go really slow if, and you take all day. Yeah. Right. It, or, or, or if you've been doing them for years, right? right? But right. To, even if you're in great shape and otherwise, but haven't done many burpees, good luck cranking out 100 in yeah. a row without no. without a break. We we did our share in the, uh, the, the, the Spartan yeah. uh, race and. 2016. Yeah. Right, those were because those were penalties. Yeah. There were penalties. <laughs> there were penalties. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they, you only had to do five. Was it just five? I think. I think it was and more. Towards the end, I, well, okay, whatever it was, I just remember it was a low number. It was nowhere near 100. No, no, no. And towards the end, it was brutal. Yeah. We were also running up a mountain. So just just for perspective, <laughs> so there was a Spartan race that I think Gary, you happen to have tickets for, right? Someone yeah. gave you entrance yeah. tickets. So Gary, uh, myself, and Adam ran the race. It was the the middle tier Spartan race, right? It wasn't the small the distance. one. It wasn't the big one. Right? Oh, was, oh, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, well, it was one of those, it was supposed to be twelve miles, but it was fourteen. And so it was what thirty five. It was cold thirty in the thirties. Cold, rainy, and raining. Yeah. Uh, unprepared. Yeah. It was uh, it was it was a brutal day. It I was, think I know I made a lot of mistakes because we were in our forties. We were about forty five. And I, what years you said? That's correct. Forty five. I think it was October or November of twenty sixteen. Uh, yeah, I made there's mistakes I made for that. I was like I ran my first marathon in ten years, and I forgot I forgot first how long it takes to recover from a marathon, especially when you're older. Since the last time I did it was in my thirties, and we did that two weeks later. And I'm like, I'm going to crush this thing. And I'm like, we started, I'm like, I'm still exhausted. And it's freezing. And, my, and you don't have to grab things and your hands are numb and you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, it was fun though. Yeah. I, um, when we had to run or walk or whatever it was through that pond, oh. right, which was like waist deep and yeah. it was 35 degrees outside, my legs seized up, cramps. Every, I couldn't even walk. I had to crumble to the floor and just sit there to get my legs to come back to shape. Oh. 
Um, it, it was not a fun day. I can tell you that. I disagree. Afterwards, you always think it was great. <laughs> it was very, it was a lot more challenging because of the weather. Doring, it was hard. Listen, lots of things are are, are misery while you're doing them. That's and right. A lot of the joy is in the planning, the expectations, and in the recollection of it. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. Isn't that with almost any competition? While I'm doing it, I'm like, this sucks. Why do I do this? And then when I'm done, I'm like, this is awesome. I can't wait to do it again. Well, <laughs> let me tell you Ray's famous line in every mountain we ever climbed. Never, never again. Never again. again. And, uh, and there's always an again for some reason. Well, there's, well, only if you consider the last 30 plus years. Right. Well, that's what you say. Anytime you run a marathon, I'm never doing this ever again until like a week later, except for you. Because you only did one, right? I only did one. Yeah. You I said think, never again, and you never did. I, you know, I don't know if I said never again, but I never did it again. All right. But it was good. You know, hey, got my goal. Got nothing else to prove. Getting older was 30. How old was I? I don't know. 32. 32 when I did it. So it's not like I'm going to start crushing my time. So call it a PR. Done, man. Yeah. Been there, done that. You run one time, it's a PR. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a big accomplishment. <laughs> well, I hit my goal time. PR is personal record. Is personal, personal record. record. Yeah. And okay. a modest goal is four hours, which Gary will laugh at, but I'm happy with my three and change. Whatever works for you, right? You got it done. One last You're still comment. better than probably 90% of the world. <laughs> <laughs> One last comment on that question I would make is I kind of spoke to a little bit on the other end of the spectrum, patient or uh, listeners that might be new to exercise. On the other end of the spectrum, where patients are at really high level, you know, athletes are very used to exercise. There's actually an article back in the 80s uh, written from Sports Illustrated about Herschel Walker. I don't know if you guys remember, he's Heisman Trophy winner, played in the NFL. And I believe no, well, he played it for the New year. Jersey Generals for a lot of years, <laughs> and he fumbled, I think, it seemed like twice a game. <laughs> yeah, not impressed. But, but there, there was a great still article. A he never politician. He never still a better politician. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. That's what the article was about. Yeah, and still a better was... running back than politician. But. <laughs> But he was, yeah, the article was all about how his calisthenic routine, you know, was a staple, you know, of what made him He fit. did something ridiculous. He did like a thousand push-ups, like some ridiculous amount of pull-ups and, and yeah. sit-ups. And that's what I do all day. He only ate once a day. Yeah, it was it was just, you know, the article was all about his training regimen, his diet. And it was, you just read through it and like, wow, this guy is just all about calisthenics. Yeah, you, know, you think it's amazing he only ate once a day, but I think it was a farm animal <laughs> each time. <laughs> you know, he would eat calories. once a day, but it would be four hours long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so this, the the bottom line is uh, burpees, the Murph. If you can go look it up for more details, if we went through it too fast, um, jump rope, any kind of calisthenic exercises, um, and it's all about timing and it's all about effort, right? You can well, do one it longer, other thing to add, faster form is everything. You're better off doing better form and less, or better form and no weights or less weights than doing it wrong, because right. you'll end up just getting hurt. And exercise at your level and make sure that you're okay to do exercise. Yep. And one final caveat, if you're a professional bodybuilder, you're going into competition, maybe you do need to go to the gym because you can't get that fourth cord in your delt to pop out <laughs> without specifically isolating <laughs> it. Well, I, I'm gonna, I guess I'd defer to Ed on that, but I think for, 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 for the general population, yeah. you, know, you don't need a, a yeah. gym unless you need the gym to motivate yourself or you're a professional and you're going to be in a competition. Yeah, Adam brought up a good point. If you're trying to isolate certain muscles at certain angles, um, and a lot of times in rehab, we'll do specific exercises with dumbbells for that reason. And so there is some use for that. For, for general population, especially during things like the pandemic, uh, I think it's okay, especially if someone's looking to save time, if it's going to be cost effective, um, then I think it's okay. You know, you can get things done. You know, when people have other medical problems, they have previous musculoskeletal orthopedic problems, then it becomes an issue, right? Can I really do a pull-up? Can I do a push-up? I have a shoulder problem, elbow problem. Then maybe not. Then maybe need to mix in something with dumbbells that are gonna isolate certain motions. Uh, so in that case, you know, again, check with your medical provider and make sure that you're okay to do exercise. Before we move on to the next question, I think the most important thing about this is you can't rely on being motivated to do this two, three, four times a week. You have to be disciplined. So yes. you're going to have to be disciplined to get yourself to say, I'm going to do this on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever day you're doing it, and then stick to it. And once you do it for a month or so, it becomes more of a habit. And I think that's key. That's a great underlying point, Gary, because that's going to be true no matter, no matter what the reformer resistance is, whether it's body weight, free weights, machines, or bands. Yeah, that discipline is key. Yeah, I know it, it, it's very hard for me. Like if I don't have somebody, if somebody's gonna meet me at the gym, I'm there every time. If I'm meeting someone to go running, no, not a problem. If it's me by myself, I find something else to do. That's just the way it is. So um, you do have to be very disciplined about it. 
All right. What are we doing next? So here we go. Question is, I was thinking of going vegetarian. Wanted to get your opinions on that. I'm going to turn to Gary first. Again. Yes. <laughs> this is my night. Um, I have lots of thoughts and opinions on this, and I think a lot of people will. Sorry, I keep hitting the table. Um, I, about four years ago, um, I decided I was going to become pescatarian, which means vegetarian plus fish. Um, or I should say mostly, meaning we were me and my wife were going to eat meat like we used to have meatless Mondays and we turned it into we plan on we'll just have instead of not having meat once a week, we'll have meat maybe once a week instead of the other way around. Uh, I think I said instead of not having meat once a week, we were going to have meat only once a week. Um, and <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> so we had meatless Mondays, which means on Mondays we didn't have any meat vegetarian. So, so normally you before it's, this, you would have meat five, six nights a week. Probably. Holy shit. That's somewhat normal, though. I guess. I mean, chicken, fish, beef. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I interpreted it as beef. Oh, no, no. I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. So then we, well, plus um, around, you know, I don't know, seven years ago, my wife got cancer and she was having a lot of problems eating lots of things. So she was eating less meat to begin with. So we decided, let's just go uh, be vegetarian. I Plus, when I made a decision, I was watching uh, Game Changers. Anybody? See game changer. I saw it. Yeah, it basically, I'm I'm sitting on a plane watching Game Changers, which is explaining veggie. Uh, actually, they're vegan. While I'm eating this chicken sandwich, and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be eating this. So, <laughs> so I I remember that day deciding I'm going to try to be a vegetarian. Actually, it was more of trying to be a vegan. And I was at a sales meeting, and anybody who has gone to sales meetings know that you can't keep your eyes open. I mean, it's impossible. They're boring. So I just remember I was I get up, I go to a hotel, I'm eating no eggs. I'm a vegetarian, everything, or sorry, vegan, everything vegan. And I was eating vegan all day and I would go through these meetings. I'm like, wow, I can't believe how alert I am. Like I can actually stay awake. This is great. Maybe I should do this more often. So I went to being uh, vegetarian mostly and we have fish. Um, we would have meat like once a month at the time. And I wasn't sure it was an effect how I go, you know, lifting, going to the gym or running. And I felt better than I felt and, or, or I could at least say I did not feel worse. Um, and still, at this point, I probably have meat once a week on average. I My thoughts are from everything I've read and everything I see is I like this thing where it says um, eat mostly vegetables, eat mostly, um, mostly healthy, mostly vegetables, uh, and anything in moderation. Meaning you can have meat, but it should be more in moderation. And, and I like that. Like I don't – I think it's, it's hard to be restrictive and say I'm not going to have – all these things like I love having sugar. I love chocolate. I love my cakes. I'm not going to give it up. I just try not to have as much. Um, same with meat. I try. I try not to have meat that often. And what I do is try not to have it be something like a hot dog uh, or sausage. You know, just have you know, chicken or fish. Um, but I think the best thing to do is have a lot less of the meat products and a lot more vegetables and fruits. Adam, you've got some experience here. Uh, yeah, I've also seen it written in a lot of places. Like it's spelled wrong, but eat more chicken. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've seen that. Um, I, I don't just popped into my head. Um, I, I I think Gary, you, you really hit on something about just minimizing the amount of meat we have uh, in our diets. We also need to understand that our DNA, our evolution, is based on being omnivorous. You know, e eating what you can catch what you can gather, what you can pick. But you're not catching and eating that every day. Bingo. It's like once a month. Or I so. think you're doing, you know, there's a lot more gathering. Yeah. And may, there's a lot of hunting, but in terms of actually capturing prey, I think it was not a daily thing. Um, but nonetheless, I like how you're not eliminating it. You're not cutting it to zero because who knows, maybe there's some silly micronutrient in, in meat that you don't get. So, so well, actually we can back up. So there are, um, the essential amino acids, which are what you need to actually grow muscle. So if you want to grow muscle, you need all this you know, uh, essential amino acids. And there's only like, I think I gave 23? it. There's only like eight vegetables oh. or non-meat that you can get that in. Um, and it's something that seems like bok choy and chickpeas and I forget all the things, hemp. Um, there's like eight of them. Um, and at first when I read that, I'm like, so that means if you're a vegetarian you can, and you're not eating these, you're never going to be able to grow muscle. But doesn't have to come from the same thing. As long as you're eating enough different things that have those essential amino acids, then you can still grow it. Um, but you do need that, and you're not you will get those from from meats, which you won't get them as easily from vegetables. Um, I think the other side is 
they've proven, you know, eating animal products is an uh, inflammatory response. So if you have inflammatory issues or stomach issues, anything like that, try not eating meat and see how, how it works for you. I think you're going to find it's going to help. So then you just limit what you're eating. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I think you're just kind of reinforcing the point that you don't need to eat meat, but to cut it to zero, maybe that's a little bit risky. I, I don't know. There's perfectly healthy vegans and vegetarians out there. And look, what else is vegetarian? Deer, cow, bison. Do they have muscle? Hell yeah, they got muscle. So yeah, you don't need meat to eat to, to grow muscle. Totally agree. Ed, what do you got on this? So, you know, it's interesting, you know, starting off with the point that Gary made, I think is very true, is in terms of, you know, the nutritional content, it's going to make it more challenging, the more restrictive you choose to make your diet. And that's not to say that it's bad that you shouldn't, you know, and you certainly can be as restrictive as you want to be and be totally vegan and still get all the nutrients you can. It's just going to be a lot harder, more time consuming, potentially more costly, you're going to restrict yourself maybe in social settings. It may not always be readily available in all circumstances you occur in in life. And so you have to weigh those things because that's real. And it was interesting, not too long ago, I saw this article. It actually kind of made me laugh a little bit because I thought it was kind of comical. It actually listed out like all these different hierarchies. Like it was saying, all right, the top of the list here is flexitarian. And I'm like, what is this? And you're so you're eating. <laughs> apparently you, you try to minimize how much you intake, you know, and consume meat products. And I figured, all right, that's, I mean, I'm just reading it and that's kind of descriptive of the way I think I eat, right? You're minimizing how much you eat meat products, right? Okay. So then it's going down to pollo vegetarian. It's spelled just like pollo, the word in Spanish for chicken. Chicken. Right? So, and so you're bypassing and abstaining from any red meat products, right? I mean, okay, so I guess you're just holding off on red meat. So right? and birds then was, and fish. Yeah, and then you're going Pork. to pescatarian, right? where you're abstaining from any meat products at all, including poultry in this case, right? right? And so you're eating fish and you're having dairy and you're having eggs and everything else, right? Then it went to lacto-ovo-vegetarian. <laughs> so a lot of the, come on, man, I've never heard of these terms. You just pissed off our, <laughs> our leagues and leagues of lacto-ovo-vegetarian <laughs> listening. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a term I never heard of. Steve, get ready to uh, edit this. Yeah, this is getting cut. <laughs> So it's a lacto-over-vegetarian. And apparently, these folks abstain from eating fish and all meat products, but they also consume dairy and have eggs. Then you have lacto-vegetarians, and then on another side, kind of splits, you have ovo-vegetarians, right? The lacto-vegetarians, they're having dairy, but no egg. The ovo are having egg, no dairy, okay. right? <laughs> then the most restrictive, you know, you had vegan, right? Where it's just, just totally plant-based, uh, things that you're consuming. So as you're going down the list again, you know, as you get further and further and further and further into this list, you're becoming more and more restrictive by choice, if you choose to. One thing that I read recently, which I never read anyplace else, it was an article, it was not a peer-reviewed scientific journal. So I question on how, how much this is true, but it was the first time I ever read it. It said that there's a higher risk for anxiety and depression uh, with vegans. And it wasn't because really- Because they're, they're alienated. Well, that's, <laughs> when, I, when I saw that, I was like, well, I guess it's really hard because like, oh my gosh, I can't eat anything at this party. Oh my gosh, I can't eat at this restaurant. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what the reasons were. They didn't specify, but I thought it was kind of interesting. I'd never heard of that before. I don't know, you know, what extent that scientific research was, if it was based on any scientific research, but it was the first time I heard of it. And it was just recently. So it could be know. a lot of reasons. It could be exactly what Gary said. It, it could be, you know, you're driven to be a vegan for environmental reasons. Yeah, it could be. And, you know, if, if you're of, of that uh, ilk, you got plenty to worry about and be depressed about. That's another thing we didn't really talk about here is, you know, environmental reasons for certain diets, right? If you eat nothing but red meat, your carbon footprint, your impact on this planet is way more right. than any vegan. Right. One thing I will share that I thought was you know, interesting, these two things, at, at a continuing education uh, seminar that I went to a few years back, it was actually given by a nutritionist. She was a registered dietitian, and she was talking about a lot of different topics. And one thing she, she talked about, which is the first time at that time I had ever heard of it, and then since then I read it elsewhere, talking about how red meat is associated with a lot of poor health effects and you know, higher risk for different diseases. And what they were explaining is 
That's not really true because it's issues with that animal and what that animal eats and how that animal um, is is raised and lived their life. And the, the examples they're giving is things like bison and venison. We have these green leaf eating animal, right? And it's running around in the wild getting exercise and that's red meat. But if you eat the bison and venison, that's not really associated with the typical red meat concerns for health. As opposed to maybe a cow that isn't out grazing and they got this stuff coming down from the chute and they're in their little pen and they're not out there running around, I guess in the wild, you know, doing their cow thing. And it was saying that source of red meat is very much associated with all the negative health consequences that we read about and usually associate with red meat. And for me, that was kind of eye-opening. I was like, well, I guess that makes sense because you got, you know, this animal that's living a poor, unhealthy lifestyle, eating a poor, unhealthy diet, and I'm eating that animal. Amen, brother. <laughs> so, so if if it's not true, exotic. it should be true. Yeah. So you eat more exotic meats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, so what, you know, the, you know the, the primary take home message they were saying is, it's, you know, the concern here regarding, you know, she was talking about red meat is, is that animal that you're eating, right? How has that animal lived its life in terms of its activity, physical activity, and then also its diet. You know, is it eating the green healthy vegetable? Because if it's eating a healthy diet and it's being physically active, then you're eating something healthy. And then you in turn are- You're pretty healthy, maybe I'll eat you. <laughs> so Hopefully I, whatever play crash. I think it's also important to remember just, I think people think I'm vegetarian, I'm vegan, that means I'm healthy, and that's not true. Yes. I mean, you could be vegetarian and not be getting hardly any That's proteins right. or on any fats or anything you need or all the nutrients you need. So right. um, just because you're not eating meat does not mean you're healthy. That Absolutely. I, I had a, a friend in college, actually my wife's uh, roommate uh, lived on broccoli and big red gum. And that's it. There's a lot of protein in big red gum, though. I, I don't. I didn't think and, so. Not at the cinnamon. time. It's like two grams per um, slice, right? But, you know, yes. she was not healthy. And she was very gassy too. Do you know there's serious protein <laughs> in uh, uh, I mean, in broccoli. Some, yeah, but yeah. I don't think it's on the list of those eight or nine vegetables no. oh, that no, have no, all no, no, twenty. No. Is it twenty-three amino acids or yes, whatever? Uh, it is. No, but the essential are eleven. Uh, those are the ones that you, you your body to, cannot synthesize on its own. You correct, right. and you Ed's need those nodding. to grow this. muscle. So if you when you Got break it. down muscle, and you want to repair them. If you don't have those, you can't repair them. Like Jurassic Park, right? Isn't that what they had? They had one of the one of the amino acids that the dinosaurs couldn't make on their own. That's how they kept them in check. Sure. Come on, guys. Didn't we see that? <laughs> I, I don't think, remember that. I, I think that was science fiction. No, that's really happened. <laughs> really? <laughs> Wait, there is no Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> one one thing I'm going to say on this topic. So I, I know a lot of people over the years. I've bumped into a lot of people who have, have you said, eaten dinosaur. <laughs> Anyone? Like chicken. They, like chicken. But they eat a lot of stuff outside, so what they eat is good. So it's good for that's, us to eat. That. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It might be. It seems like it might be a little tough, but still good for you. Yeah, as long as you um, as long as you put it in a stew, it comes out better. Mm. So um, I've bumped into a lot of people that have said, "Hey, I went, I, I went, I went vegetarian, and they lost a whole bunch of weight." Right? That, that was kind of the it was kind of the goal. Right? Hey, I want to lose weight. I'm going to try to go to vegetarian or vegan, and then and they lost a bunch of weight. And I always think that that. In the beginning, it's complicated, right? Like Ed was saying, right? Like you got to worry about what are you eating and cater your meals and all this stuff. And I wonder if when you first start a new diet like that, you just eat less because you don't know what you're doing. Well, maybe the right? only thing in your fridge is meat. Exactly, right? So <laughs> Nothing to eat for two weeks. As you're learning this, I think you probably just eat less, right? And then once you get into it, then you run a risk of, okay, now you know what you can eat. Do you go back to the overeating thing? And again, you could be unhealthy and still be vegetarian or whatever. Calories are calories. Calories so, are calories, right. But I think in the beginning, you probably have a decrease in calories because you just don't know what to do, right? And I think you brought up a good point, right? Because I think a lot of folks kind of use scale weight as an indicator for health. And unfortunately, that is not always the good indicator for health. You know, Gary had mentioned, you know, the issue with muscle mass, right? And getting your essential proteins. You know, then there's also issue, you know, there's a lot of nutrients, B12 and calcium that can get, you can get that, you know, through a vegan diet, but it's just a little more challenging. You have to make sure, so if you're eating chips, soda, and milkshakes, which is, you know, vegan. Pretty good day. <laughs> Not necessarily sure if you're going to be healthy. So Gary was absolutely right when he said, just because you're vegetarian doesn't mean it's going to be healthy. Yeah. And I think, at least from what I've seen and read, the diet that I, I really like, but it's very costly and time consuming, is paleo. Yep. You know, I, I was watching a documentary with my wife and I was listening to a lot of the uh, the information and they had some uh, 
some uh, medical doctors, you know, sharing, and it just is, is terrific. It makes sense. Makes we're, sense. We're, it's we're how exactly we evolved. Scientifically sound. It's what we evolved it's with. Terrific. That's what we're built for. But the cost Paleo, and the time. like paleontologists, yeah. like eating old bones. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, you think of the dinosaur bones you eat. What exactly is no, Paleo, it, it's raw foods, right? Nuts, yeah. seeds, fruits, and, and good yeah. meat as well. If, it does, if, you, if you can't catch it, if it doesn't fly in the air, swim in the yeah. ocean, then you don't eat it. No or, processing. Or you have to be able to gather it, just like just like yeah, the olden. No but, processing. But I can go to the shopping center and gather all the food I need. <laughs> well, the issue is right. Natural habitat. It's an oh, awesome. Right. It's an awesome diet. But then, okay, I'm gonna have dinner tonight, which means I have to go out to the store and buy everything fresh. And then I spend, you know, an hour or so, you know, cooking my you know, mm. breakfast tomorrow. I gotta go out and get everything fresh, and then, you know, cooking. So it's very <coughs> That's why I have consuming. some chickens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just go out to the backyard again. Do you have so, chickens again, or do you get? Oh those yeah, filled? no, we've had them for the past uh, ten years and five months. It was ten years ago that they all got eaten. Oh no, no, no! They didn't. They never all got eaten. Just most of them. Most of them one time, and yeah, we, we look. It goes back to the the, the fence, and you got to protect what you got because something else is going to eat it. If you're doing the right thing and you're growing good food, or you have, you know, chickens that lay good eggs, some, everything wants to eat it, not just you. So yeah, we've had the ups and downs with it. But what I want to know is like, is ice cream a plant or an animal? <laughs> you know? It is, that's a good question. You got milk, probably. But you can make you can make ice cream from coconut milk. So then that's there's, so you can it's go a plant. Way. There's vegan ice cream. Yeah. So it's a plant. Yeah. So give me some seeds. I want to grow an ice cream tree. Right. Well, vegan would be because those but folks don't have dairy. You can only grow that in the winter. Because yeah. it'll melt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, life's a bitch. <laughs> All right, I, I think we killed that topic. Um, but I would like to say that the last that was like that, the ceiling fan of food. I was going <laughs> to say we should we should probably go back and talk about ceiling fans. We could do that. Um, There's so much we did miss. If we actually. had a ceiling fan here right now, that'd we, be awesome. we did. Oh my god, we took it down. We, there was one right there. Right. Evie and I took it down one morning because it was in the way. So for those listeners that didn't catch that, you have to go watch our ceiling fan saga episode. Yep. Or listen to it, because I think it's audio only. Ah, uh, yes. Listen to that episode. And then pull up our pictures. <laughs> All right. Um, Gary has progeria, by the way. That picture was, you know, just taken when we started this. And yeah, he's aged 20 years. It's uh, unbelievable. Does progeria mean you sad. get younger quicker? Like no. Or older? Older quicker. Yeah. yeah, it's sad. It's terrible. I can't even imagine that. All right. Um, let's do this next one here. This one might be easier or simpler. Um, what's the best way to teach my daughter how to ride a bike? She's four years old. Oh, I got it. Oh, Ed's got it too. Go ahead, Ed. I, go go I got it too. Go. I will go last. We all got it. Yeah. All right. I think so it's the same. It's I'm going to bet it's the same. I bet mine's different. So yeah. here, it's the snake. It's all about the snake. So here's what we did. When I was- You put him on a snake? No. No. You put the, you, you, your kid on the bike, you hold the back seat and one of the, the steering wheels, you move them forward, you lean hard to the right, then you lean hard to the left, then you lean hard to the right. You get them to feel the shifting of the weight, so the center of their center of gravity goes through the center of the bike, and they learn that turning the wheel is kind of how you stay up. Wrong. Your time. All right. So That's not bad. I'm not going to say okay. he's wrong. I'm going to say he's did, a different, different style to get to the same place. So okay. I'm going to say balance bike. Yes, that's what I was going to say. You're going to say balance bike, and you're going to say, Ed? I don't know what a balance bike is, but so he's I, not suspect, say balance bike. I suspect it's what I did, and that is you scooterize your bike. Yes. yes. You remove the pedals, the pedals. Yes. and it's probably going to turn into what you guys just yes. said. So you, you, you scooterize the yeah, bike. Yeah, you use your feet to get, and you get to build up the balance, and then it works so much better. You guys are sheep. You can play with them yeah. when you scooterize the bike. You do that, but then you snake it at the same time. So bottom line oh. is, bottom line is, the the kid should be on a bike where they can sit on the seat and put their feet on the floor comfortably and then push themselves around and they will learn to balance the bike to do the snake thing adam described and that turning is about leaning and not about twisting the handlebar right and once they have a balance thing going then riding a bike is nothing it just becomes natural yeah you can play games with them make it fun yeah and then you do the same thing with yours you put your seat down but take your pedals off this way you guys are on the same level right you're playing the same game yeah, but that is the way to go. As soon as you put training wheels on a bike, it's a crutch. It's 
de- probably delays it. I don't know how many years to get the kid back off. I, I read a study was one point seven years. One point seven year delay. Yeah, I made that up, but it sounds good, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, but it's absolutely true because once you once you're used to being high on a bike and turning the wheel doesn't make you fall over, and when you take the training wheels off, turning the wheel makes you fall over. Right. right. So that's a, then it becomes terrifying to the kid, and they don't want to get off. So never put training wheels on. Is the bottom line. The other thing I like about it from a physiological perspective, in terms of rehab when we're trying to train individuals for balance it's nice because you have to have that individual that individual feel momentarily the loss of balance and it has to be within their abilities so as they're going through stepping they're naturally going to take bigger steps on that bike that's got the lower seat and pedals off as they feel more comfortable and they're naturally going to start self-correcting which is exactly what we do with patients when we're doing balance coordination right it has to be within their limits but yet challenge them. Yeah. It's just the same principle. Yeah, and you don't know what their limits are, so they, they're the only ones who can figure that out with their feet on the ground. Right. right. Like that's how you do it. Yes, I very much like that approach. But the only thing I would say with the snake, I, I guess, Adam, when you're doing that, you're holding on to the back. Yeah, I'm holding on to the back and, and the handlebars, and you're, you're, you're pushing the bike forward, turning right, lean right, turn left, lean left, back and forth, back and forth, and they get that feeling. Yeah, that, yeah. that's pretty good. I mean, I know from my experience, I felt like I didn't want to touch the bike because i don't know when i was a kid it was always like oh because then oh i know mom and dad isn't touching it now right and so i feel like i always wanted to cry and be hands off so that that individual child is learning to correct and right their balance yeah and i think um you also have you know the back problems that come with older folks <laughs> trying to bend over and run their kids down the, on the snake bike thing, right? That's a problem. Yeah. And, I, and I was actually doing this with Noah because I didn't know about the balance bikes, right? So I had him on training wheels, unfortunately. Did they have balance bikes back then? If you go to Europe, they had them probably for oh, 50 years. We're hold just, on. You have to go clear. buy it? A, a balance bike is just a bike without, without training without wheels. Pedals. No, no, no. no, no, so, no so take the pedals off. Yes. Yeah. You don't need to buy a balance you, bike. Take the freaking no, pedals but, off. But if you're going to buy your first bike for a kid anyway, you just buy, you buy this tiny little bike that has no pedals. Oh, you had a bike. It doesn't have the chain or anything, I don't believe, right? No chain, no, no. you can't even put... It's just a scooter, yeah. two-wheel yeah. scooter, yeah, basically, no, with no. a seat. We, we yeah. didn't buy a separate one. We just took the kid's bike, took the pedals off, lowered the seat, Yes. And so, now it's so the seat the has same to, functional. The size of it has to be small enough so right. that the, when the seat is down, they can still put their feet on the ground. Yes. So the thing the thing I think that some people may run into is that like you could do this with a two-year-old, right? And you're very you're probably not gonna find a regular bike that the seat is low enough for them to put their feet on the ground and take the pedals off. So you may have to go buy a balance bike just if you start that young. Right. Which yes. is what I would expect. Right. Which is or, what I would suggest. Or if the child's, you know, a little bit smaller. You know, at, right. at that age. So you just work on the size. But yeah, right. you can just take the pedals off any bike and it's the same thing. Right, same idea. Um, so, but when I was trying to get Noah off the training wheels, um, you know, I'm running around the neighborhood. You, it hurts your back, this and that. And like, this is crazy, right? So then I stuck a, like, mounted a broomstick in the back of the bike so that I could run next to him and just hold the broomstick and like balance him that way and do the leaning thing like Adam was describing without having to be bent over and stuff, right? And then I even thought that was too much trouble. So I started researching why is this so hard? And that's when I learned that, you know, in Europe, they've been doing the, the, the little scooter balance bike thing forever. And all the kids are two years old and running around like it's fine um, with, with no training wheels or anything. Right. So that, that was the that was the uh, eye opening thing for me. So that's the answer. One way or another, no training wheels. I think one other thing, you know, for this individual you know, looking to train their child on, on the bike is understanding and maybe to some degree i know when with, with my children is kind of talking about hey we're going to try this you know but like we play shoots and ladders you know hey sometimes you know i get right to the top sometimes i hit that shoot all the way in the top row and you know that's the way the game goes sometimes and, you fall on your face and you break your teeth and so kind of preparing them for the bike is sometimes it's really fun playing these different games and sometimes you know it's not so fun you hit that shoot and you take a little spill and it doesn't mean you don't play the game anymore we can still play shoots and ladders the next day it's okay and understanding as a parent that those things will happen because nobody wants, you know, negative things for the child, physical pain, any issues like that. Yeah, but, but at the same time, as parents, yeah. we all have been through those it's things. Needed. We know that's part of life. Don't yeah. baby your kids. Right. Yeah. It's part of life. Baby your babies, maybe. No, nah, don't, don't baby, baby your baby. kids. Don't baby the baby. I said maybe. Yeah. But it's part of maybe life. Baby. It's part of life. It's going to happen. Yeah. Maybe just in some small way, kind of, you know, acknowledging it to the child beforehand, I think has some value. Um, you know, maybe not, um, but I think understanding that those things are going to happen before they happen is important. And when it does happen, right, you can't end it. Like kid falls, 
you can't just say, okay, stop with the bike. Like you got to get back on the bike at least for another minute or something and like do it again. It can't, the last thing can't be the bad thing. It, it depends right? on how long it takes to put their brain back in their skull. <laughs> <laughs> there are cases where you might need to stop. You might, you right? might. You but might. in general, yeah, if it's a scraped knee or just a bruised ego, absolutely not. Yeah. Take, yeah. take a minute, take a breath, get back on. The other, the other thing that I thought would be a little helpful would be practice on the sidewalk, provided you got a, a decent sidewalk around. Because then when you fall, like there's a good chance you're going to be half on the grass or on the grass. Might not hurt quite as much as falling in the street. Yeah, yeah, and get run good. over. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Um, I think that's it for now. So we are I gonna, got hit uh, by a truck once. We're going to cut it off here. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Addict Static Podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and feel free to leave a comment below or come check us out at our website at addictstaticpod.com and stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.